Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and I'm trying to figure out how all this works. <laughs> In the studio, and uh, there's all kinds of bells and whistles to this particular program that we send the broadcast out on first. Well, everything is available on uh, Keys of the Kingdom podcasts, uh, which you can search on most podcast uh, platforms and find Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory. There's a few other Keys of the Kingdoms out there, but I'm the only one with Brother Gregory. So anyway, and I went to using the Brother Gregory because there were so many Gregory Williamses out there, and so it was a way of distinguishing me. But now there are other Brother Gregories out there, but I don't think any of them have a program called Keys of the Kingdom. And it's a long story how you got that. But that is not the topic of today. Uh, the topic of today is... Uh, well, actually, what I wrote down when I was putting the program together was uh, something that was in the news recently, quite a bit. A lot of people are talking about it because it was mentioned by Dr. Malone, and it's uh, this thing called mass formation psychosis. And the, it, it was a recently invented term, and it's been studied by several psychologists and uh, Belgium, and I think also in the United States and in, in the United Kingdom, and uh, it, it is this mass formation psychosis thing, and, and what it really is, is kind of mass hysteria, or kind of, it kicks in what you might call the limbing effect, there used to be this thing where, you know, we had this, Somebody said that lemmings that they will produce until there's so many lemmings on this island and then then they'll start feeding rapidly and then the feed will start running out so they're running everywhere to get every blade of grass and then eventually they uh go crazy and and actually run right off a cliff all following other lemmings thinking every lemming is knows where the grass is and there's a famous video of this. It was put out by Disney film, I think, you know, one of these wildlife videos. And actually, somebody caught a bunch of lemmings and were pushing them over the edge of the cliff because the cameraman was down there. <laughs> and I don't know that they were falling to their death, but you were seeing them going over the edge of this cliff. And it was a completely set up deal. And But lemmings do get into... Sheep do the same thing, you know. They will... Get the, one sheep will get the idea that we got to go this way, and then others will go, and then they all start going, and they, they don't even know where they're going, but uh, they all start running in that direction. And so that's why they sometimes need a shepherd that says, oh, no, <laughs> you don't want to go there. Uh, that's a cliff, or, you know, there's coyotes. Those are mountain lions over there. And so you have a shepherd who's maybe a little bit taller and a little bit more savvy and says, uh, yeah, you don't really want to go that way. <laughs> so uh, one of the things about what I've learned being a shepherd, God made me a shepherd. He wanted me to become a shepherd evidently when I was a little boy. I had no idea why, but that's where I ended up doing. But uh, I had no idea then, but there's a lot of lessons to be learned in that. For one thing, you do not force the sheep to do anything. If you push a sheep in the direction you want him to go, he will want to go the opposite direction. (laughs) 
this is, and st- it is not in human nature <laughs> to get that. So it takes some training to understand how to move sheep. And we, when we shear sheep, we run them down a chute, and then they come into the shearing shed, and and then we shear the sheep, and they like it. They they need that wool off. If you leave the wool on, they will die in four years or maybe even quicker. Uh, so you have to take the wool off. Uh, it's a service we provide to the sheep as well as feeding and caring for and protecting them from the coyotes and running over cliffs. Uh, but uh, the uh, to get them to go down the chute is sometimes a little bit of a trick. You have to get one guy to go down the chute to get anybody else to go down the chute, and they will follow that one guy. But to get that one guy to go down the chute, it's a little difficult. And then if you don't have the right funneling to your chute, Somebody will turn back because they're afraid to go down the chute and then nobody wants to go down the chute because he turned back. We're all going to turn back. So it is inevitably the temptation to go up and grab the sheep and push him down the chute. And of course, immediately he's fighting you. He doesn't want to go down the chute because you're forcing him. You do not force sheep down the chute. So I will go out there, you know, and I'm... The kids are all doing this, and I'll come out of the sheep shearing shed and uh, go over there, and I'll stand in front of the chute so that the sheep cannot go down the chute, and I'll walk towards them, and of course they get nervous when you start coming straight at them, and somebody thinks, well, I'm going to run around behind this guy who's coming straight at us because uh, it's too crowded down at this end. And so when he tries to go back, you reach out like you're trying to stop him. Don't go. Don't get by. And then my kids hear me saying this, even when they were little kids. You know, oh, stop, stop. You know, <laughs> far an attempt to stop him. And they run right past me and right down the chute. <laughs> and it takes a little bit to, you know, the, your movements. Because your movement, sheepdogs figure this out. Some, some don't. But, uh. That because the sheepdog is not supposed to bite the sheep, he's not supposed to hurt the sheep. He's supposed to psych them out and to come in, move back, come in, move back until they want to go where he wants them to go. And uh, there's a famous cartoon that shows uh, the sheep standing in a bundle, and uh, there's a farmer out there, and there's a sheepdog out there, and and one sheep says to the other, and it says, "I tell you." The farmer and the dog are working together. <laughs> and the other sheep says, Oh, you with your conspiracy theories. <laughs> so, the reality, the farmer and the dog are working together, and the sheep don't figure that out. And that's a lot like our modern society. There's conspiracies everywhere. History is just a series of conspiracies. You know, I've told this story before, but my great uncle was a soldier of fortune. Uh, he ended up in South Africa. He actually ended up uh, working for Pancho Villa in Mexico, uh, teaching him how to operate a Gatling gun. You see the movies of uh, some guy. Of course, it's it's pretty Hollywood by the time he gets there. But I actually have a photograph of my uh, great uncle teaching them how to use military tactics, etc. He was a soldier of fortune. He was for hire to teach people how to fight war. And he learned a lot of this down in South Africa uh, when he was working down there. And he wrote a book about it and all this stuff. But I have a photograph of him with Pancho Villa's men. 
So he was there. So there's a movie that shows that some American guy who's teaching them all this stuff. I can't remember the actor, but he's a great actor. Um, but that's my uncle. <laughs> my uncle's not the actor, but that's the part that they wrote in there. It's not true to life, but that's the part they wrote in there. I can't remember what I was going to say. I was going to tell you an analogy with my uncle, but maybe it'll come to me before the end of the show. We'll see. But anyway, uh, so it holds you in suspense until we get to there. But uh, but this idea of mass formation psychosis was mentioned by Dr. Malone. And, and it's actually also mentioned by Dr. Peter McCullough, both in interviews with uh, Joe uh, Rogan. Uh, but we have... I don't have the Peter McCullough up on the website yet. I have a, a, a brief snippet of it on our page on mass formation psychosis, which is at Preparing You. That's one of the beautiful things about that site is I can take some notes and put them right up on the site. And so I have, uh, I listened at least partway through a, a video with uh, Kim Iverson, who often has a very good perspective on on the news. I don't know about all the time. I don't listen to her all the time. But she did in this case. And uh, she put out the clip where Dr. Peter McCullough, who is just a brilliant guy, very good at explaining things, ex- described what mass formation psychosis is. A lot of people aren't going to see it, but that's because they're already in the middle of mass formation psychosis. They they are too proud, too arrogant. They're probably college educated. And they think, oh, well, we can't be fooled. We're too smart. <laughs> well, uh, a sheep herder who got lots of sheep down the chute, everybody can get fooled. I've been fooled. And there's, there's a way to get immunity to being fooled, but we won't go into that right here now. But uh, that's actually where we're going. Because with the remission of sins that only comes with the baptism of repentance, which is what we've been talking about, because that's really the topic is remission, this word remission. We've done three shows on it. And if you go and join the network, we'll send them to you. You could probably find them on podcasts um, within the next, I think the the next ones that we did will go out on about nine days from now the one we did this morning, and this one. But uh, it will go out as a podcast. Right now it's going out on the radio station that I'm broadcasting on. But anyway, in this mass formation, he says there's four elements. And this is one of the things about Peter is he can make things so simple. He says basically it's isolation, deprivation, anxiety, and a single solution. Well, isolation, deprivation, anxiety, or overlap, being elements. Isolation is a form of deprivation because of the fact that it's isolating you from the gregarious contact with other humans. They're isolating you. That's depriving you of socialization and and all the benefits of socialization. And if anybody's seen our show or, or read our article on Capgras, we've actually dealt with people who had Capgras. Capgras is where you actually, uh, quite a few people have had this <laughs> that have come across it. And some, they had Capgras and they hadn't even woke up yet. <laughs> so nobody knew they had Capgras. But I told the uncle of the boy that when he wakes up, 
he's not going to recognize his parents. He's going to see his parents. He's going to know they look like his parents, but he's going to think they're not his parents. And he had no idea how I knew this. But I know this because I work for the guy who knows everything. And he gave me a vision of it. And I shared it with him. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. But in his case, I told him this. Now, you think that that would be a great sign that I actually know what I'm talking about. That I came up and predicted that this boy who was unconscious was going to wake up and not recognize his own parents. He he wouldn't even recognize his uncle. Now, I say didn't recognize. He recognized they looked like his parents. They looked like his uncle. The hospital looked like a hospital. The doctors looked like doctors. The nurses looked like nurses. But he thought they weren't really doctors, nurses, his parents, and his uncle. And they had to put a guard on him to make sure he did not try to escape. Because he thought he was being held prisoners by, I don't remember in his case, either aliens or whatever. But he wasn't. That was actually his parents. But he had calf cross. That's what calf cross is. There's a connection in your brain. And I can go through the the big complicated multi-syllable words and everything. But basically... Something severs that connection. Drugs can do it. Motorcycle accidents can do it. Uh, not it had to be a motorcycle, but I know a guy who had a motorcycle accident and it severed that connection. It damaged part of his brain. High fevers can do it. And what happens is that you, you come home, you've been married for years, and you look at your spouse, and you recognize that it looks like my spouse, but I know it's not my spouse. It's an alien, it's a spy, it's whatever your neurosis tells you. And it's because when you look at them, you don't get the response in your brain that gives you reassurance that it is them. Your brain recognizes it looks like them, but you didn't get this chemical uh, surge in your brain that you normally get every time you see your mom, your spouse, or your brothers, your sisters, you you get an actual stimulus in that recognition. It could be their voice, but usually it's we're very visual. This can actually happen to blind people as well who aren't looking at faces, but faces is where you first see this. But like that boy didn't even recognize that he was in a real hospital. He didn't think the hospital was real, didn't think the doctors. But... The closer somebody is to the individual who gets calf cross, the more pronounced the psychosis will be. Because it's basically, you know, chemically damaged created psychosis. You've had an injury by one reason or another, like I said, fever or drugs or, uh, you know, a, a trauma of some sort. And you do not recognize chemically in your body through hormones, the secretion of hormones that this person is, and so you know something's wrong. And that that's amazing, that concept. Well, okay, now you know your kids in your school, all the kids in your school, but you're not allowed to look at their face. They cover their face, so you can't see their face. You can't see other people's faces. 
that facial recognition is part of that stimulation. So it's like putting you in solitary confinement. The mask is doing that. It's isolating and it's affecting your actual brain. It's outside of your control. It's it's part of the autonomic system in your body. You're not going to get that adrenaline, that uh, hormone, that chemical stimulation because you're not going to actually see their face. Isn't that amazing? And so that's isolation. Second thing. Now, a lot of people don't realize, but that's science. You want to know science? That's science. Okay? Deprivation. Well, that's the removal of some norm that comforts you. You know, when you're a little kid, maybe you had a a, a little uh, something you went to sleep with. You know, you always had my. I had one daughter always went to sleep with, and it was just a little uh, toy. I think it, it was, and she always went to sleep with that. And then one day we just kind of hid it, and when she was really tired, and she went to sleep without it, and she didn't need it anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she doesn't have a beaky anymore. Um, but that was that was a security thing. And we have those things that are, that are automatic in our bodies. But one of the other kids was learning to walk, and they, they could walk as long as they were holding onto my finger. And, but they couldn't keep walking if they were if I took my finger away they'd fall immediately. But anyway, so what I did is I got one of those round clothespins and I put that in there and I held that. She held the round clothespin and so she, as she was walking I suddenly let go of the clothespin. She still had a hold of it. I wasn't holding it. And you can see her kinda jiggle a little bit there for a second and she gripped that pin a little that clothespin a little tighter and she kept walking. Because she had that, that pen gave her the connection. This is how the mind works. It's amazing. Well, this is being done on a mass scale. Isolation, deprivation of those things that are comfort. One of the things that gives you comfort is seeing other people's face. I, when, I'd, I'd be going around in stores not very often, but when I do get to town and I come across somebody, you know, who's working as a teller or something and they're not wearing a mask, it's hard to find, but when you do find it, I always say, Thank you for not wearing a mask. <laughs> Especially if they had a nice smile. But, and I was usually getting another smile <laughs> right after that. But anyway, so deprivation of seeing those faces, but also deprivation of other comforts. You can't go to the movies. You can't gather. You can't go to the bar. You can't go to the gym. You can't go. This is part. This, anybody who's smart in psychology knows This is going to produce mass formation psychosis. These are the elements of it. This is the plan. This is, from the beginning I kept looking and I said, why are they doing this? This is, uh, epidemiologists are saying isolation, separation, all this stuff's not gonna work. And it was supposedly just to flatten the curve. It's not to flatten the curve. It's to flatten the freedom. Annihilate the freedom. That's what it's for. Now most of the people doing this have no idea. Oh, that's what it was with my uncle. My uncle, I have a newspaper, a photograph of the newspaper. I don't have the original one. I'd love to get the original one. It's around somewhere. I Probably up in Canada with some of my other relatives. But on the headlines of the paper, it's a Minneapolis paper, it says, it shows my uncle beheaded in the Tower of London <laughs> as a spy. 
He was beheaded in the Tower of this London. The problem is, he's holding the paper <laughs> in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So how uh, he was actually a Canadian. He was the only guy I know who is a honorary member of the Canadian uh, Mounted Police. But anyway, he had quite a career. He, uh, Major Shelf was his name. If anybody wants to look him up, you you can't find him on the internet. But anyway, what it was was that he was given information and leaked that information to the enemy. And so that the enemy would act upon it. He knew it was false. The people who gave it to him knew it was false. But the people who he gave it to didn't know it was false. So they thought there was going to be a large amount of troops going in a particular direction. But then they became became suspicious that the information was false. So the government pretended to arrest my uncle. Try my uncle for spying. And pretended to execute my uncle, saying to everybody who was in the news, he was executed, he was tried, he was this traitor and spy and everything. Because then the enemy thought, hey, it's true. And everybody, it, and so they acted upon that information. It wasn't true that troops were actually going to another location. So that's a conspiracy. But that's history. That's his, history in my family. So, if you don't think everything that is a conspiracy is not false, <laughs> the farmer and the sheepdogs are working together. <laughs> it's not just a conspiracy, it's a fact. So anyway, isolation, deprivation, anxiety. Okay, anxiety. What gives you anxiety? Not seeing anybody's face. Having people yell at you in the store, put up your mask, put your mask over your nose. That's anxiety. Deprivation creates anxiety. I can't go to the store, I can't go to the movie, I can't go to all these things I used to do, I can't go to the gym. Anxiety. All these things are complementary to each other. They're, they're, the anxiety gives you more deprivation. The deprivation gives you more isolation. The isolation gives you more deprivation. Deprivation gives you more anxiety. It just, it just revolves. It's a revolving emotional thing. And I know guys who committed suicide. I know more people who committed suicide during this whole COVID thing than died of COVID. I know more people who died of the vaccination than died of COVID. I know almost nobody who died of COVID. I don't even know. I know more people who died of the vaccination than died with COVID. How can that be? But anyway, that's another whole story. I'm just saying what I, it's not, it's, it's the facts of what I see. You know, it may not fit somebody else's, some fact checker scenario, but that's the way it is. But what is, where are we going with all this? Isolation, deprivation, and, and anxiety. The fourth thing in mass formation. You need relief from this isolation, deprivation, and anxiety. This floating anxiety. And of course the masks are giving you anxiety. Giving children anxiety. Oh, you gotta wear the mask or you might die. How many times have little kids been told that? Millions of times. Millions and millions of times all over the country. And it's nonsense. Kids weren't getting this. Now they're getting it now, especially if they're vaccinated, like I gave the one example of a 
10-year-old girl. Both parents went out and got vaccinated. They weren't going out seeing anybody else. But the girl got sick. The girl got sick within a few days of their parents getting vaccinated. And within 10 days, she was dead. She didn't go out and see any other kids. Kids weren't dying from this before, but they're dying from it now. But all that information, there should be studies going on. This is what the CDC should be doing, but they're not doing it. Because when the top epidemiologists in the United States uh, at Stanford University says that our systems for our science-based information have been hijacked. Why? To isolate, deprivate, and create anxiety. And then we also saw, you know, the NIH said hydroxychloroquine and zinc was a game changer. It was really good with viruses five years ago, or actually seven years ago now. But now all of a sudden, nope, no other solution. Only vaccination. They hadn't even made the vaccination yet. We have to get a vaccination. That's the only solution. Even if you've had it before and you have natural immunity, which everybody knows is better, everybody should know is better, all scientists know it's better. Oh, no, you still have to get vaccinated even if you, we can't even suggest natural immunity is good because there has to be a single solution. This is exactly what mass formation psychosis states in their laying out the plan. To create mass formation psychosis. So what purpose is that? Power. To bring you more and more into subjugation. And that single solution, it can't come from natural immunity. You know, herd immunity is a myth. Well, it hasn't been a myth for thousands of years. It's a myth this year. (laughs) Because that would interrupt the mass formation cycle. You have to think there is no other solution. And the idea has to come from an authoritarian position. And that's what we see. So, yeah, it's real. It's going on. But for what purpose? And what is the solution? Well, that's another thing we talked about at great length this morning. And I'm trying to look at the time because, man, i got a clip of long hair. No more cute little stories. I know a lot of people love those stories. But uh, anyway, I might get uh, my head cut off in the Tower of London if I keep going. <laughs> so, anyway... What what originally started this is I somebody lots of people kept saying you need to listen to Joe Rogan you need to listen to Joe Rogan uh, and, and Dr Malone and I you know I, we've already done articles on Dr Malone at preparingyou.com and we have a lot of information I try to keep the highlights in there but the, I mean this whole long interview was great it was just full of information and I've already gone and read the fact checkers who are trying to say. That, oh no, it's not true. Maybe we can get to that before we're done. But one point, Dr. Malone says, we're sick as a society and we have to heal ourselves. And like I said this morning, we need to be healed. We can't really heal ourselves, but we are a part of that healing process because we have to do something to make it so that healing is accessible. You know, the body will heal itself. You will heal yourself, but you have to, you know, like if you're a diabetic and you're eating sugars and bonbons and all this stuff, your body's not going to heal itself. You're going to get sicker and sicker and sicker. So there are things you can do, but you're not going to heal yourself. So I'm just being picky. I know what he really meant. We don't really heal ourselves, but we need to be healed. 
And Christ had the solution. And I'll just throw that out right now. Those of you who think Christ didn't have the solution, you don't know Christ. A lot of you think that Christ is the solution, you still don't know Christ, but we're going to get to that. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not picking on it. You're just in need of repentance. I'm not saying you don't know Christ anywhere. And I tried to explain this this morning. I didn't give a lot of time to it. Everybody is visited by the Holy Spirit. Everybody is inspired somewhere in their life. When they're a child, when they're growing up, when there's a traumatic event. Everybody is touched by the Holy Spirit. But we need to cultivate, persevere, seek to expand that relationship. And one of the ways to do that is to create social bonds. And there are certain ways to create social bonds that involve what we call sacrifice. I mean, when you go help your buddy, you know, he's broke down. You go, you know, help him push his car off the road. You help him get his car started, give him a jump start, whatever it is. You're sacrificing your time for that buddy. And he's more of a buddy because you were there for him. That's just common sense. It's not, it's not complicated. But if, you know, I always, I've, here's one more story. I'm sorry, I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> I know a guy who was Seventh-day Adventist. He was also a mechanic. I knew that another guy who was kind of a bum, but he had a wife and twin kids and another child. And, and you know, you cared about him. He, he's, he just, he was made a bum by the system. By the system of social welfare. By the system of benefits from men who exercise authority. They had weakened him. They did not strengthen him. We knew him and we tried to help him out in a way that strengthened him. But anyway, one day, he evidently, his car broke down with some symptoms. It was a cold, cold day. The sun was going down. He got a hold of the mechanic who was just a few miles away in a local town. It's far from me, but it's, it's, uh, well, it's 40 miles from me, but he was closer to the town than he was to me. So he called that guy, and the mechanic says, I know what the problem is based on the symptoms. I could fix it, but the Sabbath is starting, and the sun is going down, so I can't come. So the sun is going down on this guy and his wife and his three children in a car out in the middle of the desert, broke down, going to be cold that night it was already freezing it was going to be super freezing before the night was over and he wasn't going to he could get them going he could get them so they could get home but he wasn't going to come because the sun was going down and i heard that and i i met him at a livestock sale one months later and i asked him about it and he said yeah i couldn't go because the sabbath and i just raked them over the coals. You think I'm hard on you guys? You should have been there at that cell. There were people moving away from <laughs> I mean, we were still friends for a long time after that. But, but uh, he needed to have his ears chewed a little bit. So there is a place to do that. But anyway, what Malone went on to say, and I just think this is so important. He says, one of the things we have to do is come together. That's what Christ said. That's what Moses did. That, that's why the Israelites were still in Egypt during the plagues. That's why God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, because they had some things to learn. And one of those is how to come together. Malone was right. Okay, next sentence. We have to recreate our social bonds. 
Absolutely. What happened to our social bonds? And so, anyway, I talked about Alexis Tocqueville coming to America and how what was making America great, why it was so prosperous. It wasn't the the natural resources and all that stuff. It was the social bonds. And I've told you guys before, Polybius said it, Plutarch said it, what breaks down those social bonds? Why is the greatest destroyers of liberty the granters of gifts, gratuities, and benefits from government? Why is legal charity, which is charity to the welfare state, that's what they call legal charity, it's binding charity, it's charity that is provided by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, something Christ forbid. Christ forbid! When he, in the new covenant, Christ forbid it. Paul warns you. Peter warns you that Christ forbid this. And what would happen if this happens? Which is actually what will happen is a psychosis. You will live in darkness again. That's what psychosis is. Psychosis is even though something is visible right before you, you don't see it. You don't see it because your eyes have been darkened. You're in a psychosis. When Christ says they... They sat in darkness. He's actually saying they sat in a psychosis. <laughs> That's the translation that we should see if we're going to use modern psychological terms. They can't see it. It's right in front of them. They can't see it. So we have to recreate our social bonds. And how do you do that? By caring for one another. By loving one another. By being there for one another. By sacrificing your time, your money, your energy, your food, your coat. Your meats to help them out. And you create the social bonds. Without those social bonds, guess what's going to happen? Psychosis. Darkness. And it's already happened because FDR, LBJ, they got us more and more breaking down the social bonds because they were spreading amongst us gifts, gratuities, and benefits from men who exercise authority. And call themselves benefactors, but they only give you what they take away from your neighbor. And your churches are the stumbling block. Your modern church is the stumbling block. Because it says, they say, and I was using Pastor Bob as an example. They say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the welfare state as long as you do it through government. But Christ said it's not. You know, like the Bible mentions government 700 to 1,000 times. Mentions religion four times, five times. Four times in a bad sense, one time in a good sense. And in a good sense, it's taking care of the needy of your society without the aid of those men who exercise authority one over the other. Because their table is a snare. I'm quoting all these. These things are said by Paul. By Proverbs, by Abraham, by by David. It's it's said over and over again. Pastor Bob doesn't tell you. Monitors doesn't tell you. Anyway, I, I never got to the rest of this quote. Uh, or maybe I might have in the first show. But anyway, it's worth repeating. We have to buy into integrity. What is integrity? Righteousness. We have to buy into righteousness. We have to realize that if we're not going to be seeking the righteousness of God in our dealings with one another, we're not going to create good social bonds. I mean, the mafia has social bonds. But that's not the kind of social bonds you want to get. (laughs) You want 
social bonds, bonds of righteousness and the importance of human dignity where you help one another. You don't, don't belittle one another. You take care of one another. And the importance of community. Now, one of the things I didn't get into this morning, but I have talked about it before. I should put a live link to our article on community there so that you can go to that. If you were on this page, I'm actually on the page Social Bonds at Preparing You. And that page is growing. It's going to grow a lot more. I have all kinds of notes to put in there. But uh, it's, I'm kind of carving it out like one of Michelangelo's statues. You ever see... Uh, some of his statues that are unfinished. It looks like just a big stone and all of a sudden there's this perfect person coming out of the stone. <laughs> a remarkable talent. So anyway, that's what I'm doing. I'm just kind of carving this out so that you can see it because I think this is really key to this whole idea of remission of sins. Because as we talked this morning, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. And... and the Pastor Bob's of this world who says, oh no, that was before the resurrection. Now you're forgiven. No. You're taking Paul out of the context of Christ and Paul preached Christ first. If you do that, you can come up with all kinds of goofy doctrines and ideologies. You do not want to believe in ideologies. That's a form of idolatry. You don't want to be doing that. So anyway... He goes on to say this community, the importance of community. And community is where you get your communion. What's your communion? Is a little wafer of bread, a little crumb of bread that somebody puts on your tongue and says, oh, well, I have received communion. No. Communion. And we show you this with early church, 150 A.D. It's clear, the loaves and fishes, that was communion. That, that's bread. Loaves of bread, that's what communion was. If people were short of bread, and this was a big problem, it's going to be a big problem again pretty soon, that they shared the bread they had. That's communion. They rightly divided the bread from house to house. They didn't rightly divide the crumb from house to house. When I say crumb, we call it a wafer. The host nowadays is a wafer. The, the word they used to use meant crumb, you know, in the Latin. So that the host was a crumb. You got a crumb. But communion is that daily bread, that daily ministration, that free bread from the Corbin of Christ. I have articles on all that. You can look up free bread. You can look up Corbin of Christ. You can look up free will offering. You can look up charity. You can look up fervent charity. There's articles on all this. So you, can, you can look up legal charity. Legal charity destroys society. Fervent charity reestablishes those social bonds. It recreates those social bonds. But you have to do it on a local basis. You don't join, you know, we don't want a 500,000 man church that all comes and listens to me preach. Uh, that would be boring. Uh, I ain't coming anyway. Uh, the What you need is to do what Christ actually said. What he actually commanded is sit down in small groups of tens, families, and 50 families and 100 families. We have recordings on explaining why the 10s, 50s, 100s. So that you can, and I'm actually going to put out more. I've started doing some of my terrible artwork to kind of show you what that looks like. But we have hundreds of articles, hundreds and hundreds of audios, uh, books, everything for free on the website. 
Uh, all you need to do is give me your credit card number. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do with it anyway if you gave it to me. But uh, I'm not very good at remembering numbers. I'm really dyslexic. So, uh, But communion is how to take care of one another. And you start locally. Start with your family, of course. Then start with other families that come together. And those families bind themselves together, not with contracts, covenants, and constitutions, but with the character of Christ, which will create and recreate the social bonds necessary for a free society. Again, that's why God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh. You think, like, God says, oh, you let my people go, and, you know, I can make fire and brimstone come down if you don't, and all this stuff. No, he didn't do that. He hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, so the Pharaoh said no. Not only that, but the Pharaoh cut them off from their benefits. No straw. No leeks and onions given away by the government. See, that's what, that's how you got into the bondage of Egypt, was that you needed to depend upon the benefits of Egypt. But those benefits were provided by a rich man who put together this wealth because of the advice of Joseph. Now, those treasuries were filled with the forced contributions of the people, and that had shifted. It was still 20%, but there was a way in which they could raise that amount. And we've talked about that elsewhere. And, of course, we see that today. And one of the things that raises that amount more than anything is inflation. (laughs) And you're going to see plenty of that. Now, you could get panicked and everybody go out and buy beans and, and freeze-dried food and all this kind of stuff. But And that's fine if you want to do that. But what you need is the Holy Spirit. And those social bonds, if you create the social bonds of Christ through the Corbin of Christ, something mystical happens. And I'm just telling you. I Don't believe me because I'm saying it. I'm just telling you because I need to make the record. Is that... You draw near the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit nears you and you will see things that I can't even tell you. You you will know. I can't go there. I can't go down there. I can't turn left here. I need to turn right here. You will need to know that and God will give you that if you stop faking the Holy Spirit and start listening to the real Holy Spirit. And you can't control it. You don't control it. The Holy Spirit listeth where it wills. But what you can do is recreate those social bonds by repenting, immersing yourself in repentance and thinking this other way of stop looking to men who exercise authority one over the other. Stop the covetous practices of the world and start turning around and going the other way. So anyway, this show is supposed to be about the word remission and we've already gone through many of those. We talked this morning about the purse of innocent blood about the people who consent and their feet run to shed blood, that they're trapped in the very net that they set to get, you know, take a bite out of their neighbors, They, which is socialism, basically. And we talked about that, so you have to listen to those earlier recordings. And then the next thing is, are you a true believer? Acts 10.43 is to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, the character of Christ, whosoever believeth in that character of sacrifice, that's one of the major parts of Christ's character, sacrifice and forgiveness. I mean, he was forgiven Peter before Peter even committed the sin. (laughs) Wow! 
He knew Peter was going to commit the sin of denying Christ. And Jesus is already letting them know, I've already forgiven you. <laughs> Amazing. Now, if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. And there's a reason for that. You have to follow that logic out. Because God is logical. You're not going to find God through logic, but God is logical. He's not unreasonable. It is a reasonable God. But you you don't understand His reasoning. It's not necessarily thinking like you've been thinking, but if you start thinking like you're supposed to be thinking, which is what we call repentance, thinking this other way, you'll get it. But you can't be judging your friend, unforgiving to your friend, without playing God. Because judgment is God's, it's not yours. Now, I'm not talking about absolution of sin. I'm talking about you forgiving him. And nothing tests your forgiveness more than helping out somebody you were mad at yesterday. And helping them out with a good heart. You're supposed to be giving water to your enemy. You're supposed to be forgiving your enemy. You can't even forgive your friends or people in the same congregation. You have to forgive them. That doesn't mean you absolve them. That doesn't mean you make excuses for them. That means you forgive them because you've got to stop playing God. You aren't supposed to decide what is good and evil for you. You're supposed to let the Holy Spirit show you that. The tree of life show you that. Which we explained this morning. You're, you're not supposed to be deciding what is good and evil for your buddy. Or for the other congregational members. Now, if you see them doing something wrong, you say, I think that's wrong. And you bear witness to what you think is true and what you think is good. But you don't have the right to judge them. You say, well, I'm not judging them. I'm just pointing out what they're wrong. Well, the question is, will you, can you still hug them? <laughs> You'd be surprised how powerful that is. <laughs> I'm not a big hugger, but that is powerful when you can do that. There is always or should B, the question of who believes in Jesus because he himself warns that many will say they believe but are actually workers of iniquity. This is why works are important because works are the barometer. We saw that in John 3 that tells you whether or not you have actually repented. Whether or not you actually believe in Christ. Whether you are not in John 3. You know, go study John 3. We have the whole Bible there on the website at preparingyou.com. Go study our John 3. See what we have to say about that. I put up audios already on that. But, you think you're born again? Still doing evil? Still coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority? You're not born again. It doesn't mean you haven't had some Holy Spirit experience, but you're not done. You need to, you have need of repentance. So the, the last thing that we were going to talk about is mutual shedding. And I'm moving along here real quick. I probably should have started there a little bit ago. But Hebrews 9.22. And Hebrews is really hard to understand. It's written different than most of the other epistles. We've gone through some of this before. But it, it says there, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. And you think Jesus shed his blood so you don't have to do any sacrifice. No. Greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for his fellow man. Yeah, you still have need of sacrifice. 
your your sacrifice isn't good enough. You're not gonna. God's not gonna say, "Oh, you know, I owe them because they gave up so much. I need to give them." No, it doesn't work that way. Besides, God doesn't have those conversations. God's God's just kind of like automatic, built into creation. He's everywhere and everything. You, you don't get away from him. He hasn't changed in the New Testament. He's the same God that was in the Old Testament. But we don't go by the vision of the Old Testament that was handed down to us by the Pharisees. Because they have false interpretation. Like I said, the Essenes looked at what the Pharisees interpreted the Torah and said it was a fiction and a fraud. And Jesus appears to be a, a Nazarene Essene. John the Baptist certainly does, and we've given lots of reasons for that. But anyway, as we stated earlier, by this shedding of blood, everyone is evidently not to be automatically released from bondage associated with sin by, but only many. As we see in the text of Matthew. But we also see that many will actually be workers of iniquity and think that they're saved. So, how many many is, I don't know. You know, 5% of the Roman Empire, that's many. But it's not very many in relationship to all the people in the Roman Empire. And only about 5% of the Roman Empire became Christians. And it's very possible that only about 5% of the people in America will become Christians when they finally stop being false Christians and actually start being real Christians, which anybody could do right now simply by repenting and thinking differently, thinking the way Christ said to think. This is also repeating the principles of forgiveness we see Jesus state in Mark 11:26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, you can't throw that out despite what Bob says. you got to cling to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not caught off guard by the New Testament. Jesus repeats this over and over in Scripture. We've got lots of quotes there showing that. Laying down your life is a form of shedding your blood. Sweating. Helping. Your buddy's car broke down. You're going to push it out of the road. Maybe you're going to push it down the road. Our car broke down once we were coming back from a retreat. And we were coming over what they call Picture Rock Pass. And the car, uh, it lost its timing belt. We'd also just hit a deer on the way up the pass. (laughs) So we couldn't even get one of the doors open anymore. But then we lost the timing belt on the way down. And it wouldn't run. And... uh, we had we rolled most of the way home because we were at the top of the pass, but we had to push the last mile or so, and and the car was full, but we had lots of people and everybody was pushing. And they made me steer because I was the old guy in the bunch. But <laughs> so everybody was sweating by the time they got home. Even it was a cold night. There you go. That sweat is blood. That is the, your bodily fluids, and blood means your bodily fluids. <laughs> it doesn't just mean blood, because Christ even sweated blood. That would be evidence that you have forgiven, like I said, forgiving other people. So in Hebrews ten eighteen, we see now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So they think, well, we don't have to sacrifice anymore. What was Paul taking to the people in Corinth and Syria and back to Ephesus and out to Galatia and from Galatia back to Jerusalem? He was taking offerings, which was the Corbin of Christ. Yet, 
And, and again, Hebrews is written a lot different. So you have to be careful anytime you're reading Hebrews that you could easily misconstrue this and apply it to all the other things that people are saying as if this is, if Hebrews is the only source of your doctrine, <laughs> or if it contradicts what Jesus was actually teaching and saying, you probably are misinterpreting Hebrews. So you have to be very careful that way because you don't want to be caught worshiping your ideologies. You have to actually worship the real Christ and the real Holy Spirit. And, and worship is obeying. So if you're not obeying these basics that we see Christ saying, that's evidence that you're not really seeing clearly yet. You're still a little bit under the psychosis of false religion. Forgiveness is so important to the remission of sins that the Greek word Ephesus is translated forgiveness numerous times. And that, that, that word remission is from that Greek word Ephesus. Uh, it's, it's not Ephesus like the place. But anyway, Mark 3.29, Acts 5.31, Acts 13.38, Acts 26.18. All these going on, Acts 26.18. Uh, and, you know, that this is the word remission. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, never remission, but is in danger of external damnation. Well, how do you know if you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost? Well, if if you're blaspheming Christ, you're saying something opposite of Christ. You're probably saying something opposite opposite of the Holy Ghost. So if you're saying it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of government, this is the stumbling block. This is why I keep coming back there. This is one of the biggest stumbling blocks. It's not the only one. There's a, there's several of them. We can go over them at another time. But anyway, you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost every time the Holy Ghost tells you, you know, you need to listen to this. You need to look at this. You need to change your ways on this. And you say, I, I don't want to. It's too inconvenient. You know, I just want to get a vaccination and be saved. <laughs> no, that's blaspheming. If you turn your back on the Holy Ghost, and I'll tell you this story. I was in an airport once. And, I mean, this happens a lot of times. A guy tells me to go over and talk to somebody. Just total stranger. Out of the middle of nowhere. Tells me to go over and talk to somebody. Start a conversation. Tells me what to say when I get there. I don't usually know before I get there. I think like, okay. And I go there and I do this. I mean, I've traveled a thousand miles to do this sometimes. He just sends it. And it is important that I go. He'll send somebody else if I don't go. It's important to me that I learn to follow the leading of that Holy Spirit. Which is why I'm stuck out here in the desert <laughs> and talking to you on the podcast and on the radio. And I didn't do it. I had been up for hours, I mean hours, days. I hadn't had much sleep in days and days. I was absolutely exhausted. These are the excuses I was making to myself when I didn't go over and talk to that guy. I could still see that guy sitting there. God just haunts me with that. He had a wife and a kid and all this stuff. And I could see he was clearly distraught. He was tired too. I should have gone over and just sat down next to him. God give me the rest of the conversation. But I was lazy. Despite the fact that I had put in hours and thousands of miles of travel. <laughs> all this stuff. But God gave me another job and I was tired. I'm sure I wasn't as tired as Christ was when he was carrying the cross. 
I'm sure I wasn't that tired, but for some reason I thought I had the right to make that excuse. Big mistake. Shouldn't have done it. But God is the God of forgiveness. So I have to forgive this sloth and other people. And a lot of you people who should be sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, it is a constant challenge for me to forgive you for your slow, slothful, <laughs> excuse-making practices of not actually doing it. But time is clicking. Time is running out. So you need to do that. So we see this. There's lots of words for forgiveness, but this this particular word, we see again in Acts 5.31, Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel. So you got to repent. Repentance, the changing of the mind to Israel. And forgiveness of sins. You don't have the repentance, you ain't going to get the forgiveness. How do you know you have repentance? Are you forgiving others? You're not forgiving others, you don't have forgiveness. See, it, it's, it's, it just goes round and round. This is how Christ does it. This is how the gospel works. This is how it states it. And uh, you need to see that. Acts 13.38 Am I going to have time for that? Maybe not. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through his this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Preached? That's not automatic. He's telling you how to get your sins forgiveness, forgiven and how important it is to forgive others. And if you're not going to listen to what he has to say, why call him Lord if you're not going to do what he says? You can't just be a hearer only. You tell me, well, I confess my sin and I said I believe him, so therefore I'm saved. I don't think you've confessed all your sins. I just mentioned several here. A lot of people will be in denial. Well, that's not a sin. God made government. No, you made government. God made you. So anyway, we're out of time. But until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.